0: Dee, 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 dee Wait, is that it or is that baseball No, tonight? it's
1: doo, 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 doo ah doo, 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 yes. Doo, doo.
0: See, even when I try to do a basketball sound, I make a baseball sound. I just can't help it.
1: up, nerds. It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I am joined by my trusted co-host, the Giannis going absolutely superhuman to the Bucks winning the NBA championship. It's Adam Mamawala. Adam, how's it going? Uh, it's going well, and you simply love to see it. Do you not? You know, even both of us going in wanting the Suns to win, after all the stuff Giannis did post-game, how... Sweet, he was. How human he was. How fun he was on Instagram Live. I love the guy. How do you not love Giannis? Come on. Yeah. How can you not love him? How can you not root for him? He also just put up ridiculous point totals and rebounds totals and assists totals and blocks totals and shot well from the free throw line in Game Six. Like, what's not to love?
0: I saw an amazing tweet that said, <laughs> "Giannis at Antakumpo." has the body of a Greek God and the personality of a Greek diner owner.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's fantastic. He put up a ridiculous performance on the court. He put up an incredible performance in the post-game interviews saying incredibly motivational stuff, taking slight digs at James Harden without calling him out by name, which is very good, saying that he could have done it the easy way by forming a super team, but he didn't. He did it the hard way. He almost called out James Harden by name, but then said, I don't want to put anybody on the spot. So that's great because the two of them have some beef that has been simmering.
0: The hard way as a opposed to the hardened
1: way. Exactly, exactly. So that was great. And then he was vehemently yelling at his brother, Thanasis, to join them for the celebrations. But Thanasis refused because he was in the hotel for COVID safety protocols. So very good on Thanasis. And then he went to Chick-fil-A and ordered a 50 piece set of chicken nuggets specifically because he scored 50 points in the final game. And he did it while on Instagram Live. And before he flipped the camera around to show the Chick-fil-A worker, he asked her permission to be on his live stream. He's such a nice person. What a guy. He's a great guy. Do you think he ate all 50 nuggets? I think he did. I've never eaten a lot of chicken nuggets. If a regular person told me they ate 50 chicken nuggets, I wouldn't be completely flummoxed. So the fact that he is a seven foot tall specimen of a human being, I would not be surprised if he put down all 50 of those. Yeah, I tend to agree. So... Shout out to Giannis. Shout out to the Bucks. I think it's great that they won. I feel sad for the Suns and Suns fans and Chris Paul because he was clearly hobbled by the end of it. I don't know if he's going to have another shot at a championship unless he kind of goes for a ring chasing move. But it was still a really fun series. We've talked about each game at length at patreon.com. If you want to see all of those in-depth things. But this was just such a fun finals. It was so much fun. And the last game was so exciting. It was wonderful basketball.
0: Yeah, really, other than game three, there were no games that were lopsided either way like both teams were in five out of six games
1: right games were close there were iconic plays we're going to be seeing replays of the Giannis dunk forever we're going to see replays of the Giannis block forever i think drew holiday has single-handedly made defense cool and sexy again Mm -hmm. he was just putting on an absolute clinic devin booker and chris paul just looked exhausted just not excited to see drew holiday at work oh no this guy's still here (laughs) i don't blame them no so it was very very fun Do you have any other final thoughts on the finals before we move on to discussing the NBA draft?
0: Uh, I don't. I just, I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, frankly, I hope next year is more of the same. I would love to see some new blood. And by that, I mean the Bulls back in the finals. They haven't been there in a while. (laughs) It's been over 20 years. So, you know, Bulls Knicks Eastern Conference final, and then they can play. One of them can win and and... I don't know. They'll play the Pelicans in the finals or something.
1: Ooh, we'll see. I realize we were so excited to talk about the finals that we didn't take a moment to prepare ourselves in the Teal Memorial Locker Room. So before we get too far ahead of ourselves, how
0: could we have done this? Oh my gosh, we haven't centered ourselves.
1: We we need to before we can talk about the NBA Draft. We have to get centered, and the place we do that is the Teal Memorial Locker Room.
0: I'm told she's doing great
1: doing fantastically. And you know who else is doing fantastically?
0: Uh, I believe our patrons. And shout out to one patron in particular who got the vaccine in a horse jersey. Tell us about it.
1: Polly Burridge, longtime producer-level patron, big supporter of the show, did talk trash to us. She's Australian. Talk trash to us because the American basketball performance was not great against the Australian team in the exhibition. They beat us. And we're recording this part of the episode on July 26th. We'll be doing the draft part after the draft on Thursday. The men team lost in their first game to France. Not good. But the women's three on three team destroying. Fournier. California. Google it. <laughs> Kelsey Plum for the women's three by three team. Absolutely balling out of her mind. Very good stuff. Love to see that. That's the true Olympic team now. I'm excited for the future when Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird lead the women's team to victory. We'll see if the men's team gets it together. But yes, Polly Burge got her a vaccine shot while wearing a horse jersey. You love to see it, and you love to see all of our producer-level patrons. Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Adam Harwick, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, Shoe be doo Godzilla Got Busy, Steph Curry for three. Bang. He Sells Seashells, LaRon James, Matt Barger, NBA legend Robert Zachary, No Jazz No Pizza, Eileen Gazesh, Avatar Kiyoshi, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Anna Borgially, Mitch Chrysler, Bang! Bang! Brown Men Can Jump, Jimmy Butler for two, Long Suffering Timberwolves Fan, Roast Beef Debris, and Christ Paul, who who I hope rises like Christ three days <laughs> later. That's the length of the offseason, and comes back and, you know, starts schooling all the disciples.
0: I hope that we do this podcast long enough that Christ Paul finally gets his ring and also the Timberwolves eventually win. And our patron long-suffering Timberwolves fan can change their patron name. I think that would be a beautiful moment.
1: It would be fantastic. It would be very, very good stuff. Speaking of very good stuff, you know who makes very good stuff?
0: Probably our patrons. I mean, probably. I mean, certainly our patrons. Our patrons might bake. They might cook. Who knows? They might make some good stuff. But I know for a fact that our sponsors make some good stuff too.
1: Our sponsors do make some good stuff. And our sponsor for this episode, of course, is Shaker and Spoon. If you want to make some fancy cocktails, because maybe the the restrictions in your city have loosened and you've gone back to bars and you've realized, wow, bars are expensive. I hate this. Shaker and Spoon (laughs) is here for you. They will send a box that has the ingredients and the recipes to make three different drinks, four servings of each that all use the same alcohol. So you got to do supply the booze and they supply everything else. You get to make three drinks. Usually they're very different, which is fun. I've done a tequila box where one was spicy and one was sweet and one was savory and it was very cool. And you get to really see the flexibility of a liquor and how many different varieties can come. And then you have the recipes forever and the knowledge forever. And it's great. And if you're a listener of horse hoops and you want to save money on this, you can go to shakerandspoon.com slash horse hoops. And when you do so, you will get $20 off your first purchase. And that's fantastic because the boxes usually cost 40 or 50 bucks a month. So that's like half off, and that's pretty good. So head on over to spooncom slash hoops and make some fancy drinks, but don't pay an astronomical amount in order to acquire those drinks. It's a hell of a good pitch. Mm-hmm. And before we leave the Teal Memorial Locker Room, we want to thank Multitude for having us as a part of the collective and recommend a Multitude show for y'all to listen to. Why don't you check out Meddling Adults? If you like me and Adam, you are in luck because I host Meddling Adults and Adam was on an episode of Meddling Adults. And
0: I won, but who's counting?
1: We are. <laughs> it's a podcast game show for charity where two guests compete. They go head to head to solve children's mysteries from the likes of Encyclopedia Brown, Scooby-Doo, etc. And the winner earns money for a charity of their choosing. It's very lighthearted. hearted. It's very silly. You can play along at home and see if you can outsmart the guests and even me, because usually I'm very wrong and I will reveal what I thought was the answer. And let me tell you. I'm not good. That's why I'm the host and I let other people do it, but it's good. It's wholesome. It's a fun time and it's all for a good cause. And you can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts, or you can go to our website, meddlingadults.com. And now. With that complete, we can leave the Teal Memorial locker room and we can get into full court press, get it, like the news? I do. And we will talk about the MA draft. So now we will cut to Adam and I's post-draft reactions. I have no real stakes in the draft unless the Knicks make a big trade. Do you want to record anything right now, Adam, that might age funny, like how I said, please don't let the Knicks take Obi Toppin, and then we took Obi Toppin. Do you want to immortalize anything before the Bulls make a big decision?
0: <laughs> I've never seen you in a state of distress more than watching you watch the draft last year.
1: It was rough. It was rough. There's no stress this time. It's great.
0: I have no bold proclamations. I, you know, the Bulls do not have any sexy picks because they've traded them away (laughs) to get Vucevic. So, uh, no, I got, I got nothing. you have anything?
1: Nope. Unless there's some big trades. We'll see what happens. Bulls are going to get
0: Lonzo Ball putting it out there.
1: Ooh, very, very fun. Very fun. Thanks, Mike and Adam from the past. It's us, Mike and Adam from the future. We are recording this on Thursday, July 29th at 10 o'clock Eastern. The draft is currently underway. We are waiting for my beloved New York Knicks to make the pick that they have kept because they traded away pick number 19 for a future first-arm pick for some reason. We'll see it happens with 21, but Adam and I before recording realized that nothing too dramatic happened in terms of the actual picks in this draft. We don't watch a whole lot of college basketball, but my understanding in this draft was that Cade Cunningham, who's taken number one by the Detroit Pistons, is easily the number one pick, consensus number one. That happened. Mm-hmm. Then two and three were kind of flip-flopping, which was Jalen Green, who the Rockets took. He played in the G League this year. He's a guard slash wing. And then there is Evan Mobley, who played at USC, and he got drafted by the Cavaliers. He's more of a big man. People really like those two dudes. And then as your standard draft will go, the players kind of fall into categories and getting a little bit worse and worse. But like nothing truly surprising happened except for the Thunder picked Josh Giddy, who's this Australian player that a lot of people think have some high upside. When they
0: asked him how he was feeling about being picked that high, and he said, I am positively happy.
1: Yes, Thank you, Adam, for not being the 9,000th person to make the giddy joke that everyone is making. It was old yesterday.
0: (laughs) I wanted to go with the old misdirect.
1: Yeah, yeah. Stand-up comedian, Adam Amala. And the other big thing that happened was that Anthony Rizzo was traded from the Cubs to the Yankees today. Shut
0: shut your face. (laughs) Shut your stupid face. I am so upset. I don't know that the people listening realize what this means to me, but Anthony Rizzo is my favorite Cub. He's my favorite Cub.
1: Oh, I didn't know who's your favorite Cub. He's I'm sorry, man. Uh,
0: his anti-vax status has not helped that case.
1: He can join person who's definitely not vaccinated, Aaron Judge, on the New York Yankees. Oh, so that's fun. That's super fun. But
0: yeah, Anthony Rizzo is a beloved figure in Chicago. And as many of you know, I really hate the Yankees. And to see my favorite player go to my least favorite baseball team is, um, it's soul crushing. I'm, I'm recording this in morning. I will wear an Anthony Rizzo jersey to Yankee Stadium. That is a plan (laughs) you go. So when we go, once you're back in New York, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, if you're comfortable going to a game, I will go to a Yankees game with you and root only for Anthony Rizzo and against all other Yankees.
1: I think that's good. I think that's fair. And I also think it's fair that last draft, I was very sad because of Obi Uh Toppin. Now this draft, you're very sad because of Anthony Rizzo. It all comes full circle here at Horse. One thing that I really like, Trey Murphy got drafted number 17 to the Pelicans. He played for Rice for two years and then Transfer windowed out to Virginia because he got he growth spurted really big. I learned a little bit. My buddy Carter is super into college basketball and we were getting lunch the other day and he went to rice with me. So he was invested in Trey Murphy. He was like five, eight in high school and then just grew a foot in college or at least like his junior or senior year. Real uh, Anthony Davis type. Yeah, so he grew so late in high school that he didn't get scouted by the big name schools. So once he started playing well at Rice, he moved up to Virginia, did a transfer window thing, didn't have to skip a year because of COVID. And now he's in the NBA. So that's pretty cool. He still has a love for Rice University. So I appreciate that. The Knicks were two picks away from getting him, which would have oh, been really cool, that but been cool. it's all good. The bigger thing, though, that happened, I didn't expect this at all. I didn't think this was on any sort of radar or rumblings that I heard, but Russell Westbrook got traded from the Washington Wizards to the Los Angeles Lakers for Kyle Kuzma, KCP, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, and Montrez Harrell, as well as a future pick. I believe it's next year's first round pick, correct? I think so, yeah. And, uh, it's a big deal. Again, another time where we have decided to record an episode of Force and Russell Westbrook gets traded a couple of hours prior. So I don't know if we're cursing Russ. <laughs>
0: no, I think the curse, much like the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar curse, the curse is now shifting.
1: Mm, it's adjusting. So this is complicated for me because I love Russell Westbrook. I do not enjoy the Los Angeles Lakers. Mm-hmm. So much so that they've made me like LeBron less. And I was pro-LeBron for the most part. Yeah. This is hard for me because the Lakers are incredibly hard to love and Russ is incredibly hard to hate. If you're at least me, I don't know how to feel. Like I want Russ to do well, but then the Lakers to lose every single game. I really don't know what I want. I hope Russ is happy. He's from LA and he's apparently wanted to return.
0: Yeah. I had actually heard rumblings that the Clippers were
1: trying to trade for him. I don't know if you saw any of that. Really? I would have enjoyed that way more. Yeah. Uh, So it's interesting that it happened. It's interesting from a basketball perspective, not to get too much into the numbers because we are horse, but basically the Lakers traded their best three point shooters for a guy who is not very good at three point shooting. And the Lakers already were a team that was struggling with three point shooting. So I don't know how this will work, but they're doing it. <laughs> I mean, I
0: think... Bradley Beal is going to average 45 points a game next year. I think that could be a ripple effect of this trade.
1: Yeah, Bradley Beal still on the Wizards is going to be in an interesting spot now that Russell Westbrook is not there. It seemed like they got along well so I don't think that this is any sort of bad blood move. I think this is just the Wizards trying to create some sort of flexibility where that Russell Westbrook team was only going to get them so far. Maybe they try to spice things up. It also could be them kind of hedging their bets like in case Bradley Beal leaves, we've got more things that we can move around if they decide to fully blow it up, right? or they've got some stuff that they can move around if they're trying to build more of a team around Beal. So I think it was more of a flexibility move for the Wizards. For the Lakers, I don't know. I mean, you've got three guys who would love the basketball in their hands, but... It is going to be cool for LeBron and Russell Westbrook to be on the same team, regardless of anything else. Yeah. Like those two personalities being on the same team will be really fun. And Russ being in a prime marquee spotlight will be very fun. And him dealing with the L.A. media, he doesn't like the media, so it'll be really interesting.
0: Yeah, it'll be fun. I'll I'll be very curious to see how that plays out in terms of the dynamics of having a score first point guard with LeBron. And maybe that's not a fair characterization of Westbrook because obviously he gets a lot of assists and a lot of rebounds. And that's why he's known for triple doubles. But I still think of Russ as a scorer more than I think of like Chris Paul as a scorer.
1: Right. I think the thing with Russ is that he's the kind of guy who best operates with having the ball in his hands a lot Mm -hmm. and being the main decision maker. But also that is when LeBron is at his best. And it'll be it'll be interesting to see How they make it work. I think this kind of thing is always fun. And for the interests of horse, this just makes the Lakers, whether they become more hateable or more likable now that they have Russ, whatever it is, there's going to be more drama around the already most dramatic spotlight heavy team in the league because of expectations and LeBron and Space Jam, which we'll have to do an episode at some point on. I know. I don't think either. I have not watched it. Have you? I have
0: not. So what I am proposing to you live on horse. Yes, we record this live. You're hearing this as a happening This right we are talking right now we're talking right now (laughs) what i'm proposing to you right now is a three-on-three draft where you and i both watch space jam separately and then come up with our top three moments and our bottom three moments and then it's just this enormous space
1: jam draft Mm, I think that could be very fun. We will do that at some point in the future. Off season is prime time to watch Space Jam 2. Oh, yeah. I think to close out this little NBA draft thing, Adrian Wojnarowski just tweeted, the New York Knicks have also traded away the 21st pick in the draft, which makes me very sad. I wanted us to at least take someone. We're trading it to the Clippers, which I don't understand. I don't get this move at all. What are we doing? This makes me sad. This is a fun place to end this because I had no expectations of the draft. I just figured, let's just pick two dudes and see if they're good. We've now picked zero dudes. We had two picks in the first round and we took zero people. It feels like a bad strategy.
0: Neither the Bulls nor Knicks. The Bulls and Knicks will have left this draft with no
1: new players. First round, I should say. We, right. Second round is still there, but I. Don't, the Knick, we had two picks. We took zero people. I don't understand this. This makes me sad. Cool. Well, thanks, Nyx. It's been a good, exactly one season-long run of happiness. Zero picks for the Knicks. <laughs> Thank you for this. It's been great. We're back to square one. And uh, now we can continue on with the rest of the episode, a very special interview that we've done with comedian Josh Gondelman.
0: It's going to be so good. And I say it's going to be because we've already done it. And I know it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. You're going to really enjoy it. So joining us today is a very special guest, uh, a a truly wonderful man. Uh, He is currently a writer and producer on Jesus and Marrow*. He has had any number of amazing accomplishments throughout his career. We'll talk a lot about that. But welcome to the show, Josh Gondelman. How's it going, man? I'm doing okay, thanks. How are you? We're doing well. We're doing well.
2: Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I love to talk about basketball and myself. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. You've done it. Yeah, let's
0: just address the elephant in the room at the top. Josh, for those of you, if you're not familiar with Josh, he's got a real reputation as being a jerk. You know, one of the real bad guys <laughs> in comedy. That's if you def- if you don't know anything about now. Josh is like nice to a point where I think when people meet you, they're almost intimidated by how genuine you are and they want to like figure out (laughs) if it's real and then they get to know you and like they're like no he's just that's really who he is I thank you. That's
2: very kind. I do feel like that's the most generous way to say that because I do think sometimes people meet me and instead of being like, "Wow, I'm I'm staggered by this kindness," they think, "What the fuck is this guy's deal?" <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did a show the other night and TJ Tanel Joking was hosting and he it was very sweet and fun intro. He goes, "I usually don't trust." People, this nice because I worry that they're hiding something. But this guy, he doesn't have anything to hide. And then he said, you know, re- regular credits, and was like Josh Gondelman. And I said to the audience, I go, how many of you now think I have something deeply wrong with me to hide? And everyone
0: was like. <laughs>
2: But I try, you know, I try to be nice and it's very flattering to have a reputation as like a a kind person.
0: Yeah, I mean, I like to think that I have a similar reputation within comedy. I don't think people think I'm a jerk. I hope so. No, I don't think so at all. I've never heard anyone say that about you. (laughs) Only kind things.
1: It's funny because I at least I have the opposite thing where I try to be a nice person in in real life. But when I play pickup basketball, I'm the meanest human on earth. Really? So, oh, I just there's something about it. I fully embrace the whole like this is a game and nothing matters element of it. So then I just start like solely going full Draymond Green and like trying to plant seeds in people's heads to make them miss shots and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just psyching people out, real mind games. I love that. Yeah. So there's a lot of people on Earth who have only played basketball with me that I think are convinced I am like the worst human ever. Yeah, just a real piece of garbage. I I don't blame them, though.
0: (laughs) I don't know if this uh if this is something that we'll need to edit out and you tell me if it is Shubes but I do believe you told me that there was a guy who tried to like intervene in one of your relationships yes. based on you being mean on the basketball court.
1: No. Yes. We will keep this very vague. Sure. But yes, there was one time where someone brought concern to someone that I was in a relationship with because they played basketball with me and someone tried to fight me in pickup. I did say no, thank you. But (laughs) (laughs) The
2: funniest way to decline a fist
1: fight or
2: hard drugs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But yes, that person talked to my significant other and said, hey, I played basketball with Mike and I think he might have some anger issues, which I don't. But yeah. Some good stuff. Good, good stuff.
0: <laughs> Josh, are you a, uh, a player of basketball? Like, do you play in pickup games? And if so, what's your type? I've
2: not in a long time. Um, I would say my type is glue guy. That's mm, kind of yeah. when I would play. Yeah. Like, I box out. I uh, I get down in a defensive stance. I do the little things. I have a pretty uh, choppy shooting stroke not great <laughs> decent handle not great and i'm not big i'm not a big person specifically vertically i'm not big
0: i think we just found our episode title <laughs>
2: But so when I play, I haven't played in in like years. I bought a basketball during the pandemic um, nice. and I hadn't owned one in a while. And I like just haven't gone out as much because like the times I've had off have just been so hot. But like I've got some time off from work next month. And I think I'm going to like just commit to like getting up at 8 a.m. and like getting shots up and like doing some, you know, running suicides by myself. with like just the <laughs> yes. fucking saddest 36 year old bald guy in the park
1: <laughs> where all the teenagers come and are like, Whose uncle is this? Like, anyone, did <laughs> oh, anyone yeah. lose an uncle? I've, I've had teenagers at the park near me. There was a time when I was I was playing really hard and it was like three thirty. So school must have just gotten out and there were nine of them. They needed one more. So I, I decided to join them. And there was something where like I had a fast break and then I ran back to play defense. And then there was another one. And on the next play, I kind of had my hands resting on my knees and I was breathing kind of heavily. Yeah. And this teenager turns to me he goes, you had a breath, old man. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ah. At the time I was 28. I was like, come on. Right. It's <laughs> so funny.
2: 28 is so old to a six year old. It's like unfathomably mm-hmm. old. I was thinking about that recently where like the difference between like when like my sister and I are both almost exactly three years apart in age and when I was like nine and she was six or I was 12 and she was nine. That's such a huge life experience difference. And now like I'm at 36 and she's 33 and she like has a doctorate
0: and like a job and owns a home and it's like I think she's older than me now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can totally appreciate that I feel like the uh, the pandemic purchase of a basketball is a real aggressive move if you have downstairs neighbors. Do you have downstairs neighbors? I do, <laughs> but I
2: haven't been doing like in-home dribbling. Like my thought was just like, I'll take a walk in the morning and I'll just dribble as I walk and I'll just be like that guy in the neighborhood. Like I've kind of <laughs> like resigned myself to being that guy and I'm just like fine with it because I don't, as a comedian, I'm not famous enough that people would be like, hey, I think that's Josh Gondelman just wearing like Dunkin Donuts, sweatpants, dribbling a basketball to nowhere. Just a
0: real Adam Sandler aesthetic. Yes,
2: that's that's what I aspire to. I want that kind of success where people are like, oh, yeah, he can just wear juggalo length gym shorts to the Oscars or whatever. But yeah, I think like I'm just a guy in my neighborhood. So they're just like, oh, that's that that weird guy. And that's fine to me.
0: Oh, it's weird basketball guy.
2: Weird basketball
0: guy.
1: I think that's great.
0: I've done that too, though, Josh, where like I get these ideas in my head where I'm like, I'm going to go to the basketball court and I'm going to, you know, run sprints and I'm going to put up a bunch of shots. And like, I don't know what for, I don't know what I'm trying to accomplish. And at a certain age, you just look like you're practicing to achieve a goal that you clearly didn't accomplish already. Right. Like what's the plan here? Right, 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 right. There's
2: nothing that I can be, there's no like team that I can be like enlisted to you know right. like other than just playing with with friends but there's no like I'm not going to go pro I'm not going to make varsity <laughs> yeah. it's just for the love of the game it's and for the love of the game
1: I think we all can aspire to be I have said this many times in the show I want nothing more than to be old man in the corner of the gym that angers young players and pickup just looks. because I just make three I make three pointers and nothing yeah. else and I'm infuriating that's all I want just or like the old footwork guy Ooh. where Ooh. like young kids are just like
2: all right Kevin Kevin. Kevin, McHale, slow down. Just like, (laughs) and I love love of the game. Like, I think... It is very funny to consider like what people on the outside think you're aspiring to, but obviously like moving around and like doing something for your health and for your own, uh, enjoyment is like such an important thing, but it does feel vaguely ridiculous when you stand out like that. Right. Mm -hmm. When I'm like, like I'm going to be like clearly the most out of shape person on a court of anybody who has played within the last year and a half. And so like, even if I'm just shooting, like I feel like, like, did he get winded taking a single jump shot? (laughs) Just getting to the court.
0: It's an effort. <laughs> I like take a cab to the court one <laughs> block away. I play in a, in a pickup game in Astoria and there's a guy that we play with who takes smoke breaks between every game. And it's such <laughs> a quintessential New York playground move. Very I good.
1: I think the nice thing about basketball and pickups specifically, maybe it's a New York thing, but anywhere I've played I feel like it's a no judgment zone where I've never thought anything negative about someone like playing in terms of like, oh, this person's bad. Let me think less of them. Or like, what's this older guy doing? Or what's this young kid doing? It's a very accepting space where everyone's like, yeah, we're all here to play basketball and it's fine if there's no stakes, if it's just like chill pickup.
2: I have a friend who I don't want to give away names because this is his story, but he's a pretty serious athlete and he played with some pretty serious athletes like at a gym in L.A. Like a friend invited him into this game with some guys who used to be like, not professional basketball players, but like pretty high level athletes in other sports. And that got like pretty heated. Like it's a lot of like, you know, you miss an open shot and people are mad at you. Mm -hmm.
0: Not just like, Mm -hmm. Oh, bummer. But like, look, this is why you're here, motherfucker. (laughs) Oh, yeah, there's a, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but there's a comedian I know. His name is JB Ball. He played D1 basketball. And uh, when I was in LA the last time, I played in a pickup game with him and it became immediately clear that all of the people there had played D1 basketball. And it was very much like that, where like, if you do not stand in the exact right place, if you're not moving without the ball, if you're not making literally any open shot, like you will not see the ball again the entire game. And that is not an environment that i thrive in whatsoever
2: no that's what i'm always afraid of right is is that like any game i get to do which i think is like such an upper echelon thing or like if you go to a gym to run and it's like the same 14 people every week and then you and i feel like then you can be an outlier but like i think in a regular game with friends or like kind of a jumble pickup it's usually pretty decent
0: vibes yeah i would i would tend to agree now Josh, I know this is going to be challenging for you as the wildly humble man that you are. And with all due respect to your sister's doctorate and mortgage, uh, <laughs> you have accomplished a lot in your career. And and I want to give you the opportunity to uh, share a couple of like what you consider to be highlights and, or some of your favorite jobs so that, you know, the people listening know like some of what you've done because it's some pretty cool stuff. Sure.
2: So the, the Broadbeats, I started stand up in Boston, did that for a number of years. I started pretty young. I was in college. And then in my mid 20s, I moved to New York kind of after I had won this festival, the Laughing Skull Festival, which was like the first credit I ever had where I was like, oh, this is something like somebody thinks that I can do this outside of New England, which was very flattering. But not not that like nothing wrong with New England. I like love to go home and perform around there. I love to perform in Boston, but I was like, oh, maybe I'm just like I get work locally because I know everybody. And, you know, it's a it's a small enough scene. So I did that moved to New York The first thing that anyone else ever knew that I did was I co-created and co-wrote this parody Twitter account with my friend Jacqueline Moore. And she and I created this Modern Seinfeld Twitter account at Seinfeld Today. Oh,
1: I did not know you made that.
2: Yeah. So that was the two of us. That's incredible. Thank you. And that kind of like, it was truly when that blew up so quickly i think it was kind of like a different era of like what people wanted from the internet and it blew up really quickly and was a like truly my stand-up credit for probably a year and a half that i would the host would say it when i came on stage and you could not every time not every crowd and not the whole crowd but there was a murmur of like oh i that thing, you know, you could feel it in the audience <laughs> versus like, oh, this guy, um, clubs and colleges played this festival that means something to comedians, but audience members never heard of. Uh Josh <laughs> And and so that happened. Uh, and then for a number of years. Starting in early 2014, I started at Last Week Tonight with John Oliver as the web producer. I did their social and digital stuff. And then I wrote for the show for four years after that. And I've been at Desus and Marrow since late 2018. So for almost three years now. Uh, and then mm-hmm. outside of like that's kind of the big picture career trajectory. I've done I've got stand-up albums and I've done some late night spots, which have been very like exciting and fun to do. And um wrote a book and a half, <laughs> co-wrote a book, co-wrote a book with my friend Joe <laughs> oh, Berkowitz, and then wrote an essay collection of my own called Nice Try.
0: I didn't know if Book and a Half meant you co-wrote one of the books or there's one that you just cannot get just, done. Yeah, <laughs> just haven't cracked it yet. And I'm taking credit for it too. I'm like, this half book, it's the best
2: thing I've ever done but I will never finish it. Yeah, you never see like a book
0: in pre-production. You don't see that a lot of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: On IMDb book pre-production. <laughs> I feel like the only person who has that credit is like George R.R. Martin, right? Yes, that's yeah, probably true. Yeah, 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 sure. For sure.
1: And it's been for a while. I think it's fun that you went from John Oliver Anna, and out to Jesus and Mir And I know from following you on Twitter, you're a bit of a sneakerhead. What is it like to go from someone who has absolutely no drip and makes fun of it (laughs) to people who have visible sneakers entirely behind them while they do their show The opposite of a blank void. (laughs) It's so funny.
2: It's so funny that, like, John, I think, like, I think he undersells it a little bit, like, His suits are great. They are. Yeah. And Kayla wool, um, who dresses him for the show is amazing. She does all like the costuming and stuff for like the sketch type things they do in the big endings and pieces. And, And she's wonderful. And I think like he's given her credit in the past for like kind of defining his style at last week tonight with like the gingham shirts and everything. Because I do think like you could pick a John Oliver suit out of a lineup of late night suits. It's so funny because he kind of downplays it and is like, this isn't my style. This is the style I'm dressed in for the show because I have to look nice to be on TV and otherwise I'll wear like a thermal Henley and jeans and sneakers every day. But it's, you know, it's very funny uh, and interesting to like see the way that Jesus and Marrow dress for TV in comparison, especially because they're, I think, late night hosts who dress pretty outside the norm for hosting a late night show and that they don't wear suits for the show like they'll, they wore suits at the ESPYs. And like when we've done I've done stuff with them sometimes on the outside. They did the TCAs and I was with them and they had they had suits on for that. But like for the show, it's like they just want to look good, but not formal like that. And I think that's the vibe of the show is like, why would we wear suits? We're not guys who like get up for work and want to put on a suit like this is our show why wouldn't we dress the way we want to look right <laughs> i think that's great and satra Asan who's the head of the wardrobe department and and mo who works with her are they're so good and, and like especially because they dress like outside of what you see for the host of a late night show i can imagine and i haven't talked too much about this with with satra who's again so great that she probably has to like range a little further to find stuff that's like, okay, this is within the spectrum of your style, but it's also something that is like up to the level of I'm going to wear this to host
1: my TV show. Yeah. Seems like a difficult balance for sure. And of course the sneaker game is very strong and your sneaker game is very strong. Thank you. Not necessarily the most expensive pair or the rarest pair, but of all the shoes that you have, what is your favorite shoe and does it hold any sentimental value of, of getting it or why you sprung for that one versus the billions of other shoes. I have a couple pairs because I do have a lot of sentimental value
2: shoes and a couple of them I got when my book came out, my essay collection, the whole one that I wrote. (laughs) 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 Um, I got myself, my literary agent and my editor, the three of us identical custom pairs of Air Max ones in a colorway that matches the book cover. And Ooh, nice. Oh, yeah. That's
1: the photo they have on Twitter where the book's inside the shoe. Yes. Yes.
2: Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so I got those custom done with like Nike. It used to be called Nike ID. I think it's like. Now it's Nike by you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. So I got those three pairs and those are very special. And I, I love, I mean, I love an Air Max in general. I find them very comfortable. And it just is like really fun to have that. And it it really makes me when I wear them, I think about the book and like this experience I have with these two other people that I worked with so closely on this, you know, I have a couple of like a little bit fancier pairs that I've like allowed myself to get for like TV appearances. So I got before they went through the roof with the prices, I got the concepts, purple lobster, Dunks. I got them when I did Corden, and those are they just resell for like preposterous money now. And they were just like, Do you know how much? We don't have to ask how much you paid, but what are they going for now? Um, I think I, because I knew it was for TV and I knew I could write it off. I think I went up to like 300 bucks or something because I was like, This is like an outfit for TV. It's a tax write off. This is fine. Maybe 330 or something. But now I think they're in the like 800s. That's a lot of money for shoes. So much money. Would not spend that. Even for a TV thing. And I did a similar thing with, I shot a special recently and I got a pair of um, the Club 58 dunks that are like kind of like a bright sky blue with orange soles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they're really striking, but like not too flashy. Like they're bright, but don't look comical. And I like a dunk for wearing with like a tapered kind of structured pair of pants because the big puffy tongue, like there's just a place for the pants to go so they don't like yeah. billow up. Um, I don't know. That, sorry if that's too boring. But no, like, I,
1: love, I love this. This is, I, I love this. <laughs> I
2: think about that a lot. I thought a lot about how to dress for the special. And I think I might do things differently in the future, but I do feel good about the choices I made.
0: I love the idea that everything revolves around the tax write-offs. <laughs> like that you're... <laughs> At the end of the year, you're like, "No, I bought all these because I, I work on a TV show," and, and your accountant's like, "Josh, you work behind the scenes. <laughs> these shows don't go on camera, right?" I <laughs> know, uh, but that's that is it though. But it's like for stuff
2: where I'm going on TV, I'm like, "Okay, I can splurge a little bit for this," but like for other stuff, I try not to spend zillions of dollars on things. But.
0: I tried to do that one time. I tried to uh, write off a gym membership because I was like, "I'm a performer, so it's important for me to look good," and. They were like, "You're a comedian. You don't. This is not a, one of the requirements." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not in a Marvel movie. <laughs> yeah. You're like, Kumail can write off his gym membership.
1: <laughs> I also like that you called the shoes striking. I think more sneakerheads should adapt those types of adjectives. I think calling shoes striking should should come into fashion. I mean, I try
2: to like keep a healthy relationship to all this kind of stuff and tried to like be respectful of the cultures that I'm, you know, like sneaker culture one or like, I'm mm-hmm. not a long tenured sneakerhead by most standards. And I try to like participate in the culture respectfully and not like adopt slang that feels unnatural yeah. to me. You know what I mean? I just feel like I would f- seem like such a goober. So I try to like <laughs> be sincere about it and my appreciation, but also I think it would be, very like unexpected and jarring. If I were just like, yeah, man, I, I, my sneaker game is popping, and I am, you know what I mean. I just like I, right. my, my drip
1: stays heavy, and people are like, who the, f- why, what? Shut up. Uh, I think that's good though, because I think with sneakers, it's something that I have seen. I'm also a late adopter, where I only got performance basketball shoes. Mm -hmm. It was never about the look. It was just like what felt the best when I was playing as a kid. And then now I've gotten more into it and I've slowly gotten my wife on board, not because of her understanding, like which shoes are are rare or worth more, but her appreciation for them is purely does this look nice or is there some sort of cool story? And I think that's what's fun about it is that there's different ways you can appreciate it, whether you waited in line for Jordan's as a kid or if you're just like, I think the pink on this shoe is a pretty shade and I don't care that it's not like the the coolest model that's out there. Of course. And I think that's the way,
2: I mean, like there are people who collect because there's like a history that's meaningful to them. But I think like, because I'm like a ladyish adopter in comparison you know it would just feel inauthentic to me if I was like oh they're dropping these retros of the the Jordan 11s and I'm gonna like buy two pairs like one to keep on the shelf and one one to wear because uh that's what the real collectors do whereas I'm like I don't have that kind of like long tenured connection so like I I buy like what I will wear and you know and that that kind of thing like I try not to be too annoying about it um, but yeah, I think like where buying what I think looks good is like helpful and, and not having a ton of history helps me have like a little cleaner slate for certain things. But also, I'm a little more influenced by like current trends probably, like, than people who are like, oh, yeah, I had Jordan 1s in 1986. And that is like a dominant paradigm for how I think about that sneakers you know that the converse weapon like all those big 80s sneakers just informing your aesthetic whereas like you know I grew up in the like early 90s was when I became like cognizant of that kind of thing and so I it's like a little less of a personal history thing
0: yeah completely now so you grew up in Boston right yeah I grew up in the the suburbs that always even though I'm aware of that I still like my brain won't accept it like (laughs) you have have much more of like a, a Minnesota
2: vibe oh yeah Especially in comedy, there's like such a... Like you go, oh, it's like Bill Burr, right? Is like the right. Bostonist feeling comedian. It was, but like Stephen Wright to me is also like a very Boston person, but that's like... Like sardonic and... Yeah, so... But I do people frequently, even from hearing me talk, are like, are you from Canada? And like, <laughs> I am not.
0: I think they mean it as a compliment. They're like, "No, you yeah, seem like I, an affable say... man, and so I'm going to assume you're from Canada. Thank you. Uh, but... Uh, Unless I'm mistaken, you are like Boston and New England sports across the board, yes?
2: Yes, that's true. My plan this summer is to adopt the uh, New York Liberty as a WNBA Nice. yeah, nice, nice, like, nice, Just to take them on as like, I'm excited, I've lived here for 10 years, and so I'm excited to have a New York team
1: to root for. Yeah, that's super fun. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Do you, are you diehard for the Celtics? Do you have thoughts about the recent shakeup of Danny Ainge, Brad Stevens, all the folks on the team right now? Yes, I am and I do. Um, <laughs> and thanks so much for asking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been
2: waiting for this moment specifically. Um, I am a big Celtics fan. I think that the offense they were running the past couple seasons did not maximize the development of their young players mm-hmm. like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I'm a very amateurish person, but like you watch other teams and the way they get their stars easy baskets and don't like, I feel like it's partly Tatum takes a lot of difficult shots, but partly it felt like they didn't have a ton of offense that was like designed to get him easy shots in the flow other than like open three pointers sometimes. And so I'm excited for a change of coaching leadership. I don't think necessarily that it was that Brad Stevens was a bad coach. I just think he had never coached stars with expectations at that level before yeah. and the time he did technically right the season where Kyrie was more or less healthy into the playoffs was disastrous so i think his skill set did not lend itself to like we have superstar talent we're going to maximize their talent what what it lent itself to was like here's the assemblage of players I have and I'm gonna get them all to perform at their highest level but I think he just didn't quite know what to do with like guys that can score 26 points a game and like just how to make that easier while integrating other players into the flow
0: do they need more glue guys do they need more gondelman types <laughs> I think they probably need more Gondelman
2: types I mean I think they do they need more people and this is like just me cribbing from Celtics podcasts and such but like they need more ball movers just guys who like move the ball and get other people looks and you see like when Robert Williams the 3rd the time lord time lord baby <laughs> when he's healthy and playing in the flow of the offense he gets guys open looks and like he just has such a sense for where people are on the court like Tatum and Brown I think are getting better as passers and I think Smart is a pretty good facilitator but Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are both like great scorers and their development as playmakers is going to be like moving the ball to find the open guy when they're doubled or like uh, you know driving to the the basket and then shooting or like making another pass while the defense is rotating not like primary facilitators and I think Rob Williams some of the passes he makes are just like oh he just knows where everybody is and like what angles to use to get the ball like he'll catch a rebound, falling out of bounds, and redirect it while he's still falling out of bounds to someone for an open three. And it's just like, that is a skill that he has and something he's great at. And that's like natural to his game. And I think they need more players like that. More players who are like a primary
1: skill they have is like finding people in open spots. All right. Well, Brad Stevens does listen to the show. So hopefully he <laughs> he takes your advice and, and we'll start to... Brad,
2: again, not saying you're a bad coach. <laughs> Looking forward to the Brad Stevens front office, Sarah. Yeah. But I do think that, like, the last couple of years, you kind of saw, especially offensively, like, the limitations of what they were doing. And, and maybe it is. Maybe time will tell. And we'll say, like, it's actually the players on the roster had... You know, he was getting as much out of them as he could. But I do think, like, mm-hmm. they need more facilitators. Yeah, I think it makes sense.
0: So give me your favorite Celtic of all time and your favorite Celtic memory.
2: Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, favorite Celtic memory was... The um the 08 championship and Kevin Garnett's subsequent post-game interview which is like the famous like anything is possible yeah i like get emotional just thinking about it because he had such a great career to that point as as an individually excellent player and like a team defensive player but like not a lot of team success and he'd been an mvp and then he came to boston they won the championship you could see how much it meant to him Uh, he swore really loudly during
0: the interview. (laughs) I believe he told Michelle Tafoya that she, quote, looked good tonight, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Just like the scream of anything
2: is possible is truly like, I think about it all the time. Like when I feel good, that's how I feel like that. That is the embodiment. His energy there is like what I aspire to. Just like that is my touchstone for feeling like life is full of possibility and potential. And we're, we're living in this world where like wonderful things can happen. And we're in the midst of this life that that can contain so much joy and collaborative success. Right. And I just think of his like face and hear his voice when
0: he does that. Do you do that by the way? Like when you get like a call from your agent or manager that you got a writing job, you just scream (laughs) that into the phone.
2: (laughs) I should, I should start doing that. I think about that. Like his exhilaration is like such a touchstone for me. Um, other moments. I mean, like I loved the second round game, I think a couple years ago where the 76ers blew the confetti in the middle oh, of the playoff classic. game and then lost to the Celtics. And uh, I really liked that team, which was the first Kyrie season when he was uh, unfortunately hurt. I'm not like rooting for him to be hurt, but the way the team responded with like Brown and Tatum and Marcus Smart, Terry Rogier, and Gordon Hayward had already gotten hurt. And so it was like those kind of guys were the core. That playoff series was really fun. But my favorite player, Gosh, I mean, like I've got like a double XL Marcus Smart jersey to hang up (laughs) on the walls on the wall of my office. I feel like that's what I aspire to. Constant effort doing the things that other people find unpleasant. As part of a professional task, without complaint, I think that like the Marcus Smart ethos, and and I, I like I, I, this is not personal to me, but I do like his kind of they call the you know the and modern NBA parlance like the griftiness of him, the like yeah. drawing fouls and kind of like his taking kind of a soccer long time to get up. You, I love that <laughs> on my team, and I hate it when Kyle Lowry does it for another team. <laughs>
1: It's interesting that you would have such a big jersey displayed in the writers' room of a show hosted by two of the most obnoxious Knicks fans. Nixon, and this is something yeah. that Adam has to deal with because I'm an atrociously obnoxious Knicks fan as well. What is it like, especially because New York and Boston sports don't vibe well, do you get into heated arguments with them? Is it all playful? We get into it a little bit, uh,
2: which is, <laughs> I mean, because so I've been with the show for three years and this season was a little bit more heated because the Knicks were good, but mm-hmm. I, the time when I grew up... the there was not a Celtics Knicks rivalry at all like the Knicks were were really good it, you know, the Ewing Knicks, Ewing Starks, Houston, um, that those teams were really good in the 90s and the Celtics were really bad. And then the Celtics got good and the Knicks were really bad. Like, I like when the Knicks are good, which I don't feel about every team. Like with the last few years, especially of like Celtics Sixers playoff, I delight in the misery of Sixers fans. And, <laughs> and I don't feel that way about Knicks fans because they, they've never felt like enemies. They just were on a parallel right. quest <laughs> to as yeah. Celtics.
1: Fans and that can happen with established rivalries. Currently, I don't feel as much ill will. I'm a big Yankees fan as well. I don't feel as much ill will to the Red Sox because we haven't been good at the same time in yes. a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate the Astros way more. Yes, because we've been good at the same time and they cheated against us and all that. Where like the Red Sox and Yankees, sure in the '90s, but like in
2: the early the early aughts was like that in my lifetime was the height. Was 0-3 mm-hmm. oh, sure. with the Aaron Boone home run and then. 04, the Red Sox coming back from down 03 and uh, Mm -hmm. to win that series. Probably people who are older than I am have other more heated memories of Red Sox, Yankees, whether it was Bucky Dent or, or whatever. But like I knew that it was a thing when I was young, yeah. Red Sox-Yankees. But that was when I was like, yeah, this is
0: what a sports rivalry is. I get
2: it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm experiencing it.
0: Well, unknowingly, you've accomplished the goal of this basketball podcast, which is that uh, <laughs> at, at least once in every episode, I make some sort of baseball reference because I just can't help myself. <laughs> but the same thing, like as a, as a Bulls fan, and Mike and I have talked about this a lot, it is good for basketball when the bulls and knicks are good like it would be sick to see a bulls knicks eastern conference final in i don't know three years or whatever that seems like it could actually happen sure i i think like the knicks and msg
2: specifically like the garden i've only been to one or two games there it's amazing it's It's awesome yeah it's so good in a way that like i thought people were embellishing because of kind of like general new york supremacist ideas of like sports and entertainment and stuff. But it really is great. Not that other places aren't great, but it was great in a way that I was like I went to like a regular season Knicks Celtics game a few years ago. It was a really good game, but it was awesome. The energy was so good in a way that like the culture and history and intensity at the Barclays Center like has not come up to that level yet. No, no. And
1: and it's funny this season perfectly represents how New York feels about the teams in that the Nets were first place all year and no one cared. And the Knicks had a party outside of MSG when we were above 500. (laughs) We've been so bad for so long. We are just so hungry for it that if we ever become an actual contender, like people actually consider we might win the championship, it's going to be wild. (laughs) Yes. And I think with the Knicks, like I feel like the thing that
2: brought me around to feel more affection for the Knicks was when the Nets became that kind of super team. Not because I resent A super team, but because I feel like there was this idea that, like, we were saying when the Knicks are good, basketball is good and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were like, we don't care. We don't want to play for the Knicks for whatever reason. (laughs) We want to play four miles away in the same city. That was when I was like, okay, the kind of hubris of like Knicks fans being like we got cab space baby and people want to (laughs) come to New York and which was true but they're fine people live in Brooklyn now this isn't like sex in the city like people can live in Brooklyn (laughs) so that
0: really earned Knicks fans and Knicks culture my affection it's also just funny to think about athletes playing in New York because if you're a rookie athlete or an athlete on a rookie contract in another city, like you can just buy a house. But yes. it's funny to picture that there are athletes who are on their rookie contracts who just like live in a one bedroom apartment in Greenpoint. <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure. I want to live in a place where they take 23% of my annual income away. I don't uh, want to play in Texas where I've no- Texas, Florida. Yeah. It's right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah.
2: Oh, that's so Boston. That's the most Boston thing that I say <laughs> is the way I pronounce Florida. Florida. <laughs> dude, my parents went down to friggin' Boker. Holy shit, dude. Florida. It's a different animal. Yeah, I think that's so funny, right? You're on a rookie scale contract and you're like, yeah, I know I have a lot of money, but rents in Prospect Heights are out of control. <laughs> so this is another thing. As a Celtics fan, one of the things that people say is like good for basketball when the Lakers are good and when LeBron is in the finals. And and I don't, again, not rooting for injury. Like I don't want LeBron and Anthony Davis to be hurt and and suffer, but I do think like This year's finals were really exciting. Yeah, they're really fun. And and it was Phoenix, Milwaukee to like mid-sized city teams. And I think that was great. I mean, like Giannis dropping 50 in the, the clinching game is like, what an exciting, thrilling thing that we haven't seen before.
1: Right. I think it was fantastic. I, I hope that this finals ruins the notion that the playoffs aren't good if it's not these big marquee teams. I think there's a difference between big market teams being good and then being good for the sport just because then more people are watching. But once you get to the playoffs, I don't think it matters. I I had more fun this playoffs than I had in a while. And it could be the big market thing. It also could just be seeing new faces in there. Yes. LeBron's been there forever and mm-hmm. we love him. But also it was cool to see Chris Paul in there. It was fun to see Giannis in the finals.
2: Yes. I think there may be like the difference about like Star. players, like if you're talking like LeBron James versus the 04 Pistons, right, where it's like, truly not a team focused on stars but the different like Giannis Antetokounmpo is a two-time MVP and like a global brand at this point Mm -hmm. like that's a star I know he's not starring in Space Jam but he's like a huge deal and like to be like no LeBron is is the only big deal until he retires or Steph Curry is the only big deal it's limiting to the game to not Mm -hmm. want these other players who are like Charismatic and transcendent talent to thrive. Like it just feels like, yeah, what are,
1: why? why is why are these five guys that have already done it the only guys we want to see do it right it's funny as the same people who complain about oh Giannis can't be the face of the league because he's greek which is the most wild argument these are the same people who will say oh basketball so much better in the 90s when you had all of these people like all these big names like barkley and and jordan and ewing and all these guys who would not want that who would not want every team to have marquee stars and then they'll make another nba jam like i don't know why anyone would root against that i think everybody should have good players. It's it's perfect. What's not to love? Right. Right. And there
2: were exciting players, right? Like it's not, there was not some weird Cinderella story that happened where like a team full of guys you've never heard of made, you know, this wasn't the 2019 Nets that were like kind of a fun story making it to the, into the playoffs, squeaking into the playoffs or whatever. This is like Chris Paul, a 16 year veteran and Devin Booker, who's like, again, ascendant young star against a two-time MVP. Like, what are we talking about people? Yeah. I mean, if there if
0: there were modern NBA Jam on the Bucks, it would be Like, is it Giannis and Middleton or Giannis and Drew Holiday? Like, they are right. options. It's a great team. That's, that's a
2: fun NBA Jam team. Would love a new NBA Jam, period. Um, mm-hmm. It would be so fun. And that's, like, kind of my height of video game prowess as well.
1: When we all feel safe enough to do so, we should all hit a arcade and we'll play yes, NBA Jam against I would love each other. That. And that sounds great. It'll be great. Would love that. <laughs> um,
0: Josh, as we're as we're winding down here, a question for you. Have you ever had the ability to use your writing slash comedic talents in a sports way? Like, have you ever gotten to like contribute for the ESPYs or, you know, roasts or anything like that?
2: I've never done like the high profile sports stuff, which I think would be really fun. I've never like thought about trying to do it but I would like to, I think. Uh, since I've had enough credits where I think I could be like, hey, could I submit for the ESPYs or whatever? I've been in writer's rooms kind of consistently for the past few years. So like I haven't had a lot of opportunity to like branch out and do other kinds of gigs. But like I do like doing different kinds of forums and events in media. So yeah, would love to do something like that.
1: Yeah, 100%. I think it'd be great. I think you'd be great at Thank it. You. you do a better job than whoever wrote the Ben Simmons joke at the ESPYs, which was hey. just let's laugh at Ben Simmons. I
2: don't want to um, cast any Spurgeons on the writing stuff. I missed,
1: I didn't listen to you. I, um, I just felt bad for Ben Simmons. I don't want to diss whoever wrote it. I just feel like you can get more creative than like, ha this guy missed free throws. Sure, 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 I sure. Th- I, I just, I felt bad for Ben. I feel like if you're going to make fun of him, you got to be more creative than like, lol.
0: Well, I think the answer to that, Mike, is that a lot of the writers on the SVs probably wrote great jokes. And then ultimately, whoever makes the decision is like, no, we're going to go with this easy mm. joke. I mean,
2: that's kind of how I always feel, especially when a non-comedian is doing comedy. Nothing against Anthony Mackie, but I do feel like sometimes there's like less ambition on the part of the host to do like weird things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We uh, Megan Gailey, who's been on this podcast before, yes. and I'm sure you know, I think she wrote on the ESPYs when Peyton Manning hosted. And I believe there was like a particular joke of hers that was dark, that just like completely bombed. In the read-through, and she was just crestfallen that this man who she loved so much was like, yeah, I don't get this.
2: Yep. I think it's tough, like, because you really have to throw it over the middle of the plate, not to bring back baseball, right? (laughs) Because it's like an award show, so that's like one strike against doing anything that's going to, like, challenge anyone in the room, right? Right. Like, I, I think... There's like already political pressure to not do that. I imagine unless you're like Ricky Gervais and you're like, "Who isn't it fun?" And you're like, "Take a nap." <laughs>
0: yeah, I never get that. Like the whole bit is that I'm too good for this. It's like, but you're still there. You're still hosting yeah, you're the doing, thing. You need this. Right? If you didn't need this, you wouldn't do it.
2: And so it's a war show you're dealing with like non-comedian hosts. Not that they're not talented, but it's just not their wheelhouse as much. So I think like right, yeah. And then the audience. In the room are that person's peers. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, it's tough on a lot of levels. But I guess what I'm asking is I don't think a, a sequel would be possible, but if they make Uncut Gems 2, will you write the Kevin Garnett part? Oh my God. I, that would be, that's like a dream.
2: <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> would be a dream. Because well, I, I heard that part was written for Kobe originally. Really? Huh. I, I forget where I heard that.
1: That's interesting. Uh, I feel like
0: he would have been good too. Like Kobe certainly had like a presence on screen.
1: He's got acting chops. Those Kobe commercials with the, the You're Welcome, the Mamba Mentality fake motivational speech mm-hmm. commercials. He's fantastic. But I, I mean, I love Kevin Garnett and I'm happy to see Celtics
2: involved in this Adam Sandler, New England legend Adam Sandler and uh, Chaos. Did you see that film? I've not seen it yet. If you want to have an extended I can't deal with the, I do with attack, the stress. I, that's I where never. I am. I like, I, I I even know what happens and I'm still like, oh, this is so stressful. But I love, you know, I just love to see Kevin Garnett and Adam Sandler thriving together. Garnett
0: was good. He, he seemed to approach acting with the same intensity as he does basketball. And he was compelling.
2: Trash talking the key grips and everything. <laughs> they did those Area 21 things on TNT where he would like do segments during the halftime oh, show. Right. And I didn't think those were like super smooth. But I wonder if him being able to act and like having strong direction and, and like lines it was just better geared towards like what he's good at than like having to like extemporaneously interview people or whatever right you know this is not kevin garnett slander i just think his acting is better than his hosting that's true of many people
0: <laughs> well he doesn't listen to the podcast brad stevens listens to it but kevin Brad. brad, just brad, brad I, just I hope brad, he doesn't yeah.
2: tell him i hope he's not like hey kev uh, Josh is really talking a lot of shit.
0: Kevin, <laughs> Kevin, sit down.
2: <laughs> I've got bad news. Of all the interpersonal experiences I can imagine, and this is maybe one of the reasons I've like been nervous about Uncut Gems, one of the most stressful interpersonal experiences I can envision is Kevin Garnett knowing who I am and being mad at me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: i'd just be terrible you don't want that uh, you you
2: don't want that target on your back i know i would feel so bad i would feel like i let him down i would feel like he could destroy me if he so chose (laughs) (laughs) i mean anything's possible possible. (laughs) i just just love it so much it's It's fantastic they're ruled and they beat the lakers that was great it was very fun 2008 it
0: was a great finals a great finals uh one of the greatest financial collapses in American history. (laughs) It's the only time during an NBA game I've seen someone pour Gatorade on someone's head like it's an NFL Mm -hmm. game. Just made a huge mess on the court. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't just soak up. Someone's going (laughs) to clean it up. Not a practical move. Um, Josh, Uh. this was incredibly fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, Where can people follow you? And is there anything that you want to plug or promote before you get out of here?
2: Yes, I am at Josh Gondelman, G-O-N-D-E-L man on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Legally too old for TikTok. Um, (laughs) I have a book out called Nice Try, if you like books. I have a podcast called Make My Day, which is a game show where there's only one contestant each week. So the only person <laughs> who competes always wins and then watch
1: please watch uh, Deezus and Mero
2: Thursdays and Sundays at 11 on Showtime love it
1: fantastic well thank you for joining hopefully you know who's to say maybe Deezus and Mero will host the ESPYs and then you'll write for them and it'll all be perfect they were
2: there this they year they were there, I they feel were like, there. So I feel like, like it's not impossible the
1: steps are going I or know. they just make Uncut Gems a sequel with Marcus Smart and then you get to write the Marcus Smart part. yeah, parts. yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of Horus Horse hosted by Adam Amawala and Mike Schubert. Our editor is Misha Stanton. The music is by Bettina Campomanas. The art is by Allison Wakeman. The social media is run by Mike Schubert. And the website is by Kelly Schubert.
0: Thank you to our producer level patrons Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Adam Hartwick, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, Shooby Dooby Doo, Godzilla Got Busy, Steph Curry for Three. BANG! He sells seashells, Laurent James, Matt Barger, NBA legend Robert Sacre, No Jazz, No Pizza, Eileen Gazesh, Avatar Kyoshi, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Annorborg Jaylee, Mitch Chrysler. BANG! BANG! Brown men can. J- Jimmy Butler 42 two long-suffering Tim Wolves fan roast beef debris and Christ Paul follow us on Instagram and Facebook at horse hoops and on Twitter at horse underscore hoops because
1: horse hoops made fun of Josh Gondelman for just trying to do his best dribbling a basketball down a sidewalk you shouldn't do that that's rude please don't
0: do that Josh Gondelman is a lovely man be kind to him if you see him in the streets <laughs> uh, go to our website HorseHoops.com for links to some of the stuff we talked to Josh about and
1: much, much more. And if you want to support the show, you want us to say your silly basketball-related name, you want a horse jersey, you want a horse sticker, whatever it is, you can go to patreon.com slash horsehoops and you'll get access to all the bonus content we've ever made instantly. As long as you go to a high enough tier. That's really cool. We've been doing stuff on it for years so you can join and get a whole bunch of stuff. Patreon.com slash horsehoops. And we're going to close out this episode as we do every episode, put our hands in the middle and say something on the count of three. I feel like based on our conversation with Josh and just how uplifting the message is, I feel like we should just say anything is possible on three. I think that's great. Fantastic. One, two, three.
0: Anything Anything is possible! possible.
1: (laughs) What a message.
0: What a positive message. It really is.